Welcome to Ridgewood Talks. Through this podcast, we'll be introducing you to some of the leaders and legends in our village. We'll keep you updated about fascinating local events, and we'll dig into the town's hot topics and so much more. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeannie Johnson, the founder of Ridgewood Talks and Ridgewood Walks. The goal of these initiatives is to create a kinder, more connected, and a more vibrant community. I'm thrilled to be co-hosting this podcast with my good friend and all-around wonderful guy, Jordan Kaufman. We look forward to meeting with you weekly, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on who and what you'd like to learn about in our beautiful hometown. Enjoy this episode, and until we meet again, be kind and do good. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Ridgewood Talks. We are thrilled to have our next guest on today. Um, She is a very committed and passionate member of our community and has done tremendous work in all kinds of sustainability and environmental initiatives. So we're happy to have her here. And Jordan, I'd like you to introduce our next guest, if you will. Yeah, my pleasure. And we are certainly honored to have a good friend, Pam Perron, uh, on with us. She is a member of the Ridgewood Council, as well as our deputy mayor. She is liaison and acts as liaison for the council for many committees, including uh, one which I work with her very closely with, the Central Business District Advisory Committee, the Chamber of Commerce. She is liaison for the Green Tree, uh, I'm sorry, Green Ridgewood and the Shade Tree. Commission, open space, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So many things. Pam is also a graduate of Ridgewood High School. She worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York for a while and then in New Jersey. And she's also very involved in the League of Women Voters. And I'm going to pause, Pam, and let you pick up and dive a little bit more into your experience with the League of Women Voters and how your involvement in becoming a director there kind of leads to you being sort of an expert on the issue that we're really trying to dive in today, which is about Ridgewood Water. Thanks, Jordan, for that nice introduction. Yeah, I first got interested in water issues around 2014 when the League of Women Voters showed a movie at the Ridgewood Public Library called Blue Gold. And it explained how the cycle of water is not what we learned as kids, that it's gotten interrupted and that we have several different problems going on with our water supply and its safety. I joined the League of Women Voters and eventually after a while, they asked me to be a director and what would I like to work on? What would I like my portfolio to be? And I thought about all the environmental issues in the world And it occurred to me that water should be something that is um, contained, doable, could be addressed. Uh, So I started the water committee at the League of Women Voters. Well, little did I realize that everything in the environmental crisis boils down to water. And uh, I started, I approached the uh, Ridgewood Water Utility, um, which is the entity that supplies our drinking water in Ridgewood and three other towns, Midland Park, uh, Wyckoff, and Glen Rock. And first we did, they gave us a tour of the Ridgewood water facilities. 
And after that, we started doing annual public forums about various water issues. It could have been somewhere about lead in the water and what's being done to contain that. Another one had to do with irrigation. And so pre-COVID, we were doing annual public forums with the water utility. I got to know its director, Richard Calby, whom I have great respect for. And I speak pretty often with the business manager. Right now, that's Dan Timoney. And okay, I am a big fan of Ridgewood Water. So uh, that's that's my initial involvement. And I continue to be impressed by all the work that they do now that I'm on the council. Ridgewood Water is a utility. So it is independent in a sense uh, of the Ridgewood local government, though the council has to approve the um, contracts that Ridgewood Water enters into. And if you look at the council agendas, we always separate out the things that have to do with Ridgewood Water. So we address those as a, um, a, a separate matter. So our oversight of Ridgewood Water is very important. Yeah, no, no, it certainly is. And that's obviously very helpful because some people maybe don't understand a little bit about Ridgewood Water and how it's a, a utility that we own and how important that that's a separate line item for the council to address on the agenda. Before we get into the mechanics, though, of how Ridgewood Water works and, and interacts with our residents, I just want to start by making sure everyone's aware what the major acronym which is entered into the water conversation is, which is PFAS. And so if you know what PFAS is and you're listening, great. You probably read science journals, but if you don't read science journals, you may not know what PFAS is. So could you quickly describe a little bit about what PFAS is and why this is a problem, especially in New Jersey? Well, PFAS is a family of chemicals, man-made chemicals. It stands for poly and perfluoroalkyl substances. And that will be on the test. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why we abbreviate it, because it's such a mouthful. The two that are most problematic in Ridgewood are PFOA and PFOS. And of those two, PFOA is the bigger problem in Ridgewood. Uh, manufacturers started putting out uh, PFAS in about the 1940s. It's used in industrial and commercial processes to, for its stain-resistant, water-resistant, grease-resistant properties. Teflon and so, Gore-Tex. Pardon? Teflon and Gore-Tex. That's right. Um, Non-stick cookware like Teflon, waterproof clothing like uh, Gore-Tex, and also the, another big one is firefighting foam, uh, aqueous film that's in this foam to uh, contain fires. That's a big usage also. Metal plating also uses uh, PFAS. So it was used in many, many applications. PFOA is no longer manufactured 
But then there's something called Gen X because there's the follow-up, whatever replaced PFOA. Um, they stopped manufacturing it around, I think it was 2008 or 2009. However, they're called forever chemicals because they don't degrade. Well, that, that's, that's actually an interesting thing to jump into because is there any way to eliminate PFAS in the water? Like is, you know, does boiling or filtration systems, are there tools out there to address the PFAS in the water? Yes, there are. Boiling is not one of them. Uh, you can't just boil water and hope that PFAS will be eliminated. You can use a granular activated carbon system, which has a medium, you, you pass the water through it and the medium absorbs the PFAS, or you can use reverse osmosis. And those are two methods. There's another method that's a resin method. And what Ridgewood Water is doing is mostly using a granular activated carbon system. They might use resin also. Uh, the ones that have been implemented so far have been the GAC. If you are looking to uh, put a filter in your home, most people seem to be going to reverse osmosis. Right. And then what would your recommendation be versus reverse osmosis versus like buying bottled water? Uh, what, what's, what's Ridgewood Water suggesting with, with respect to that? Ridgewood Water is not telling people what to do. They're just explaining the options. And that's on their website, which is so informative. If you look on their website, there's a tab that says resources and the drop down for that says PFAS resources. And they recommend that if you want to do reverse osmosis in your home, go to nsf.org, that's for National Sanitation, um, I forget what the F is for. Anyway, uh, you can find certified products that you can put under your sink in your kitchen that will uh, filter the water. Bear in mind that if you use reverse osmosis, you're using more water. So your water bill probably would go up. Also, when you use reverse osmosis, you're taking out all the minerals in the water. And if you're, you're somebody like me who has osteoporosis, you might want to replace some of the minerals that have been taken out. So that's what people are doing. Um, and you'd have to hire a plumber to do that. Some people are doing whole house reverse osmosis. That can be pretty expensive, whereas other people just do it in the at the kitchen sink because that's where you're consuming the water or using it for cooking. So in the treatment plants that have been installed so far by Ridgewood Water at their facilities, it's been the GAC filtration system. So that, that's actually, I think, as we're talking about some of the, some of the solutions there, and it's great to hear that there are solutions. It's great to hear that the town's aware it's addressing it. And it's great to hear that residents want to upgrade, you know, how they're clearing out PFAS or choosing, you know, whatever methods that they find available, which it sounds like Ridgewood Waters website is a great resource to learn more about that. One of the questions that comes to mind, though, is what is the danger level of this? How, you know, concerned should people be as we, you know, just take tap water or use kind of like a Brita filter or something like that? 
where does this kind of register uh, as a health risk? I know it might be hard to put uh, some kind of number, but I guess, you know, me having an eight month old, should I be taking extra steps? Should someone who has uh, an elder parent who has health risks or something like that, should they be taking extra steps? How concerned should those different levels of residents be as they hear about this new acronym and then think through the potential risks? Years ago, these contaminants were called emerging contaminants, and they weren't even regulated. Part of the problem was they couldn't be detected. Uh, The science has come a long way now, and they can detect smaller and smaller amounts of PFAS in the water. So once the testing got more sensitive, that's when uh, the the EPA and, and the New Jersey State Department of Environmental Protection, DEP, changed their regulations in um, June of 2020. So that now the maximum contaminant level for PFOA is 14 parts per trillion. So imagine how finely sensitive the testing is now. That's like a drop of water in an Olympic-sized pool. And for PFOS, the standard is 13 parts per trillion. So the science on the health effects are based on following communities where there has been sustained contamination of PFAS contamination over time. The CDC is running a study of seven communities across the country that have had sustained exposure, and they have a disease registry of people in those communities. So they're tracking to see what the effect is. Also, there have been, of course, lab tests on uh, rats and mice that show various things. So generally, PFAS can affect, not necessarily will, but can affect uh, by increasing cholesterol levels. Uric acid can also reduce response uh, to vaccines. Uh, reduce the creation of antibodies when people receive vaccines. And they're looking at the, the way the standard changed was the DEP was looking at, and the health department were looking at the most vulnerable populations and what their lifetime exposure would mean. So by vulnerable populations, I mean pregnant women, fetuses, Uh, infants, the elderly, and anybody who is immunocompromised. So the studies have shown that there is perhaps an association with higher rates of testicular cancer and liver cancers. So that's very concerning. If, If you fall in one of those groups, you really want to think long and hard about this. And so those are the uh, most prevalent risks. So just to kind of condense a little bit of that. And I remember, you know, when we, uh, I first learned about the acronym PFAS was on one of our CBDAC calls talking about the water in Ridgewood. And that was in 2020, uh, when nothing else was going on, there was nothing else to talk about except for water at that time. So it's actually really incredible to me how quickly we 
mobilized on on addressing this issue and how quickly this is kind of disseminated become such a, an area of focus with all the other challenges we were facing at that time. So I think uh, you know that deserves a little bit of hat tip of yes. how the minute this was discovered and, and addressed that you know people were on it. So I'm glad to hear that there the research is still going on. There's ongoing analysis about what the impacts of this is. But there was no delay to addressing. Nobody was sticking their head in the sand and, and yeah. trying to bury this or anything else. So that's yeah. fantastic. And you being an attorney by trade, <laughs> you there's a lot of smart people looking at this, making sure that this is being addressed appropriately. Yes. I, I should I, say also, even when these emerging contaminants were unregulated, there was guidance and Ridgewood, Ridgewood Water was monitoring testing their wells, their 52 wells in Ridgewood Ridgewood Water over the four towns. They were testing all their wells, monitoring. And in 2018, they decided to shut down the car well in Ridgewood because of the levels of PFOS there, mostly PFOA, and started working on a master plan of how to attack this problem. And they hired an engineering firm to design and work up how each well should be treated. So, oh, and I forgot to mention two other health effects. In males, there may be a correlation uh, or an association with infertility. That's very concerning. And also with fetuses in utero, uh, a decrease in birth weight and mm-hmm. possible developmental delays. All, all yes, can be concerning. At the same time, I grew up on Ridgewood Water, and uh, I've got I've got two healthy healthy kids. So there's there's hope for us yet. So um, Sam, I I just want to jump in there for one minute because those health concerns are very alarming. So mm-hmm. when compare Ridgewood Water to say bottled water. What are the differences there? And are there those concerns the same with bottled water as it is with Ridgewood water? Ridgewood water recommends that if you are in one of these uh, vulnerable groups, consider drinking bottled water. And uh, if you're making coffee or juice or or anything like that, uh, use bottled water for cooking and making drinks. I still have questions about bottled water that comes from another state. New Jersey passed the most stringent maximum contamination levels, the most stringent standard. We were the first to regulate this. And so other states aren't as particular as New Jersey is. And so if you get bottled water from out of state, what's in it? Look at the label. And if the label doesn't tell you that they've used one of these filtration processes, reverse osmosis or GAC, the granular activated carbon, well, call them up. I mean, figure out which brand you trust before you know you just take anything off the supermarket shelves. Do you I, have a particular? Some. There were, uh, I. I I did catalog a a few years ago, which ones were using reverse osmosis and which ones weren't. Um, But I think that's out of date now. So I can't, I can't recommend any particular brand. 
So bottled water also is not regulated by the EPA. It's regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Are they, well, I, I think, uh, you know, just, just due to time and, and kind of a focus on Ridgewood Water, because I think there's so much there, uh, we'll let the Food and Drug Administration, uh, you know, figure out how it wants to communicate that issue. But that kind of brings to another aspect, which I think that people should have an appreciation for. Is this PFAS issue unique to Ridgewood? Is there a bubble around Ridgewood that has PFAS just in our wells and everywhere else does not? Or is this an issue which is uh, kind of more, more broad? It sounds like this is something the CDC and, and so many national groups are looking at that this is not unique to the town we live in. Definitely not unique to Ridgewood. Uh, it is PFAS locations have been found in Connecticut, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, out on Long Island. It's a national issue um, and it's even a global issue. Yeah, I actually remember when, when you first started talking about it and I looked it up and they had done a test to see um, for individuals, they did blood tests to see who had no traces of PFAS in it. And I think they did it on something like 1500 people and only two examples didn't have any traces of PFAS in it. And it turned out that those two blood tests were actually from people from World War II that they had just saved and had on file. So it was a time issue, not a location issue. And that I thought was, was kind of interesting when I was uh, did a little bit of, uh, uh, as they say, do your own research on, on the internet. Um, so you talked a little bit about what, what Ridgewood is doing to address this issue. And something that I clued in on as you were talking about that is testing all the wells. And something that comes to mind, I'm sure our listeners are thinking about is, one, should they be doing anything to test their own water that's coming out of the spout in their sink? Or two, is there somewhere where they can get a resource to understand what the test results of the well water that they're receiving directly in their home what issues they might have there or just something to to help them and, and build their confidence in how this is being approached. You can always call up Ridgewood Water and talk to their customer service people and tell them where you live and they can give you that that information about the well that supplies you. But however, but one one of the other things that Ridgewood Water is doing is they are buying surface water from other entities and blending it with our water to bring down the parts per million of, of contaminants in our water. And so where you live and what well you might be on weren't quite so indicative. The idea in, in the master plan is to centralize treatment. Right now there are 31 points of entry for water. And what we're trying to do is centralize it so that there are 12 points of entry from the wells and there are treatment facilities at each of those. Right now, we have two that have already been built, PFAS treatment facilities, one at the car facility, which has now reopened, and also at 20 Pond, that one has already been installed. I have a question into Ridgewood Water whether it's operational yet, but anyway, then we also have uh, we put in for a permit, and it's been granted by the DEP for another facility. There are four more permits that are pending, 
And so we could be breaking ground on five new treatment facilities in 2023. They anticipate that by 2024, our blended water will be compliant with the, the current regulations, the maximum contamination level. We should be under that. By 2026, they're hopeful that all 12 treatment facilities will have been built. And this is to a tune of approximately $100 million. Wow. And that's why we can't do it immediately. Okay. It's a big expense and we want to do this efficiently, but we also are trying, Ridgewood Water is really operating on an accelerated timeline. They uh, also have brought a lawsuit against the manufacturers because why should we customers, we ratepayers, pay for something that we didn't create? Ridgewood Water didn't create this problem. They're going after the manufacturers. That's 3M, DuPont, and I think another one that's called American Firefighting Foam Conglomerate, whatever that is. Um, and it is such a big problem that there is multi-district uh, multi litigation that our case got um, sent to uh, pending in Charleston. However, I, I, this is interesting. Recently, the defendants, those, those manufacturing companies moved for summary judgment and the court denied that motion. That changes the posture of the case perhaps and the our case may be remanded back to New Jersey Superior Court. So it's interesting to watch that. We get regular updates from our attorneys who are handling that litigation. There's another litigation, a, a claim that Ridgewood Water put into our insurance carrier to cover the costs of PFAS uh, remediation. You may have noticed in the bill that you received from Ridgewood Water that there is a PFOS surcharge. There are two reasons for that. One, so that we can keep track of our monetary damages and prove them up in the lawsuits. And two, you wouldn't want that to the PFOS factor to go into our regular water rate because that inflates it forever. And so that's why it's kept separate in a separate surcharge. That makes sense. And I think, you know, mentioning some of that litigation aspect and, and what's going on there is also really important. The fact that a bunch of people are jumping on. I remember you mentioning we uh, litigated relatively early because we thought there was going to be a lot of bandwagging and piggybacking uh, on this type of litigation as, as people learned a little bit more about it. So we're fortunate that we identified and acted quickly. And I think that that's worth giving a hat tip to. I do want to switch gears for, for a second um, as, as we're running uh, running to the end of, of our uh, broadcast show here. And that is something that a lot of people are talking about now, which is the privatization, uh, you know, having Ridgewood Water as a public utility versus a privatization of it, right? Having a big company come in and buy it. And as you've talked about some of the things, probably people can start to piece together having this as a local entity and dealing with the local issue has some benefit. But I, I would like for you to talk a little bit about that choice as people think about that. What are the issues that 
we really need to uh, have at the forefront of our minds versus just immediately having, you know, big government or small government type type of arguments in our own head? Sure. Supplying safe water is a basic governmental function in my mind. And Ridgewood Water has done an excellent job of it. And if you look at, say, Suez, which people point to, it's now called, that's a water supply company. They mostly deal with surface water, which is not as prone to PFAS contamination as water drawn from the aquifers, the well water that we use. If we were to privatize, if we were to sell our system to Suez, which is now called Veolia uh, or some other private entity, their mission is to make a profit for their shareholders, for their investors. It's not to provide safe drinking water to customers, to residents. So I personally trust Ridgewood Water because their mission is to um, give us safe drinking water. And also, if we were to sell to another company like Allendale did, they're still dealing with the wells. They still have to come up with uh, a master plan and all the funding. And so the problem doesn't go away when you sell to a private company. Um, we you also can't undo it. Yeah, you still have to deal with the problem. And we now have a master plan that we're putting into effect. And the DEP, the, DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection, has approved this master plan. So I think it's a good basis for going forward based on what we have planned. Ridgewood Water already got a grant for $2.8 million to build the next treatment facility over on Goffle Road. I am not in favor of privatizing. I don't think that will solve our problems. I think it will create more problems. And hey, you can call up Ridgewood Water and talk to a, a person there for 30, 40 minutes. You can walk in their door and have your questions answered. Try that with Veolia, which is headquartered in France. Yeah, no, I think uh, this is certainly something that um, there's a lot of moving parts to. I mean, even as you talk about some of the grants that we have ongoing, some of the master planning issues that we have ongoing, it's not something where you snap your fingers and, and some change magically takes place and people change shifts. There'd be a lot of potential impacts of that. And so it's something that probably uh, needs to be thought of carefully. That kind of leads to, I'll call it our last question, which is, I mean, this was great, Pam. I think you whet a lot of appetites for learning a little bit more about what the issues are, how to think about them, how we're addressing them. How do people from here, if they want to learn more, where would you direct them? And also talk to me a little bit about um, any public meetings which are being considered to address PFAS or, or any of the Ridgewood water things, how, what's the image or thought process for communication and transparency within the town as we look forward? Okay, any question you have, you can call up Ridgewood water and the number is uh, 201-670-5520. 
And depending on what your question is, they'll direct you to the right person. Or you can email CS, that stands for customer service, CSWATER at ridgewoodnj.net. Yes, they are planning to have a public forum. They just don't have a date yet. They had a public forum in 2018, another one in 2021. The PowerPoints from that are on the Ridgewood website if you'd like to see that. So uh, another one is certainly due. They would like to do it in person this time. So that's what they're aiming for. So keep your eyes peeled. They will be sending out quarterly reports on PFAS until it is under the maximum contaminant levels for for PFOA and PFOS. Every year, Ridgewood Water puts out an annual drinking water report, usually comes out in July. They are cataloged on their website. You can see that. In the notice that came to your house, there is a lot of information in there also. So those are all good things to read. Anybody who wants can call me up. Uh, I'm happy to answer questions as well. My cell phone number is 201-655-8427. So I think that's all. Let me see. Were there other outlets? That's so generous of you to um, invite people to call you on your cell phone. I really appreciate that. And so when we talk about things like that, I'd like to um, just see if you can lend us a bird's eye view into um, some of the things that your family does uh, regarding Ridgewood water. Tell me what it looks like for you. Okay. I don't have small children in my household. I don't have anybody who is immunocompromised and I have osteoporosis, as I mentioned. So we chose not to put in a filtration system. Uh, Other people have other considerations with their family members. So I can understand why you want to talk to your doctor. That's so great, Pam, that we have all these options to get information about Ridgewood Water. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing all the contact information, including uh, the contact information for yourself. That's very generous. And it's also nice to know that we have a public forum that we can look forward to, to hear more about the progress here and what's going on. I'm gonna say from my perspective, even knowing some of the things that you've talked about today, having grown up in the town, um, having a small infinite home, having a, a young family, for me, my family isn't too concerned. I know for us, our, our water habits um, are not, we're not taking extreme measures or anything. We're using water to boil. And yeah, we have bottled water probably about half the time um, with a, a pretty light filtration system. Would you mind sharing uh, what your family is doing? How at you being so knowledgeable and knowing so much, what actions do you take uh, in your own home? I personally am not immunocompromised, nor is anybody in my household. We don't have infants or pregnant or nursing mothers. We don't have elderly people in our household. So uh, nobody with serious chronic conditions. So we don't filter our water. Also, I have osteoporosis, so I don't want reverse osmosis that takes all the minerals out of the water, as I mentioned. So we drink the water. We like it. (laughs) And it's interesting to note that 
I do have a reverse osmosis system in our house. We just recently um, installed it. My husband took the initiative to do that, not necessarily because he was concerned about any of these water issues, but because when the salesman came a knock in, um, we had a, a, a water softener and they they did an upsell on the reverse osmosis piece of it. So my husband went and did that. And um, other other than that, we've always trusted Ridgewood Water because we understand um, how diligent people are at the authority. And they we understand that Ridgewood Water is more advanced in, than many other states uh, in, the, in the country. And, and again, as you mentioned, Pam, uh, New Jersey has the strictest uh, rules regarding water quality. So I feel pretty confident, you know, pouring a glass of water, going into a restaurant and drinking the water. So thank you again. For your everything that you do for this community. Pam, you have been an act. I love what you're doing in terms of all of the sustainability and environmental issues, um, especially this water situation. And I am so grateful to you that you are open to having residents reach out to you either through your cell phone, your website, which of course we'll post uh, when we put this out there. And they can reach out to you on your Facebook pages as well. So again, thanks for being our guest. And uh, Jordan, what have you got to say? I just really want to thank Pam for our time and everything she does for our community. I think it's fantastic. And I'm sure that many of our listeners, they hear how much Pam understands and has been involved in this. And hopefully uh, they recognize how hard volunteers like Pam are working to try to ensure that Ridgewood's a, a great community to live in and is also a safe community to live and raise kids in. Well, it was my pleasure. And anyone who has concerns can call Ridgewood Water, uh, check out their website, and maybe you decide you do want to take measures to uh, ensure your water is as safe as you want it to be. That's great. Thanks again, everyone. And until we meet again, be kind and do good.